And I said, well, what will she be doing when that final disappointment comes? And we answered in unison, she'll break out the booze and have a ball. And then we sat back and we marinated in the song's meaning as Peggy sang the rest of it. And when she finished, Mr. Parker turned to me and he said, you know, I have her phone number. Now it's time to play it back. The show where we talk about the songs we love, hate, and appreciate. I'm John Asante. And I'm Gia Jung. And on today's show, songs that make you want to live out a fantasy. You know, those tunes that make you want to escape to a different place and time. Ooh, yeah. And for me, in high school, I so badly wanted to escape into the song Hands Down by Dashboard Confessional. You know, you know that one, Gia? Actually, I'm not all too familiar. I don't know if it sounds like an upper, though. Uh, No, it's not. I mean, Dashboard Confessional was a super, super emo band. Very depressing. But this is probably Uh the most uplifting song. And I remember loving the song so much that I thought I was going to live out this fantasy when I went to see them in concert um, with a girl that I really liked that I was in a leadership program with. What's the song about? So the song is literally about a guy trying to live out his, like, ideal day with a girl that he's madly in love with. And so the chorus goes, and I kid you not. My hopes are so high that you just might kill me. So won't you kill me? So I die happy. I mean, he's so into it. Real uplifting, John. Oh, yeah. yeah. Really uplifting. He's like, this is what, this is the peak. I want, I'm so in love with you that I just, any touch by you is just going to put me out. Wow. And I thought that, um, you know, I wasn't that into emo music to the point where I was like, this is going to happen, you know. But I really wanted to, that fantasy to be lived out at the concert, and it, it sadly didn't. I just was too nervous in, in high school. Oh, what? Yeah, you know. Is um, that the whole story? You were just too nervous, or what? I was too nervous. She also brought a, a guy friend to the concert, so oh, I couldn't make a no. move. <laughs> uh, that's yeah. her loss. Uh, no, her, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. All right. You got to have a fantasy song or like an anthem of some sort, right? I do. And surprisingly, it's not about romance as one might suspect it to be. Mm. But my fantasy was more of actually was more of a formative song. It's mm. In This Diary by the Ataris. Ooh, I like that. And uh, I first heard it in summer of 2003, which is damn near like 15 years ago. And I stayed in college in the summer, mm-hmm. and my friend, Lenoy was staying down in the basement of frat, and all the frat boys are gone, and she had this MP3 mix, <laughs> and this song was one of them, but when it came on, she'd always be pouring vanilla vodka with um, Diet Coke, which is Ooh. absolutely foul, but she <laughs> forced me to drink it, and right, the chorus would be like, Big grown up, isn't half as fun as growing up. These are the best days of our lives. And then that part, she'd get in my face and be like, these are the best days of our lives. And it was kind of (laughs) mocking, but in doing that, because we're like, ha-ha, yeah, college is, this is it. This is like the peak of our lives. Right. um, We... It went from being a mocking thing to actually conditioning us into living it out, Mm -hmm. like, um, just to the wall, taking it to the wall, being young, not caring about anything. and um, What was the most extreme thing you did that would match up to the lyrics to that song? <laughs> um. <laughs> so it was. So you really were mocking the song is what it was. No, I mean, we were like, we're, we're young and we're just going to um, not be grown up and we'll be immature. Yeah. Which basically lots of drinking, lots of things that 
you know, they, yeah. they don't need to be. I'm not going to do laundry re- today. Recounted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> um, but to this day, when I hear it, it's more than nostalgia. It actually makes me revert. So uh, if someone were to play this at a party, yeah. that old self might come out. And it might not be creepy because it's 15 years later and yeah. I'm supposed to be grown up. But it would make me turn into somebody who's like, come on, these are the best days of our lives. We're not going to grow up. We're young and this is the best part. You know, so savor it. <laughs> totally. Yeah, my anthem. So I think that nostalgia through line is a really great segue into today's storyteller. He lived out his fantasy through the musical stylings of prolific pop jazz singer Peggy Lee which yes. did not know much about her before um, before I talked to him but uh, she's been compared to Billie Holiday and Ella Fitzgerald you would say that's pretty pretty uh, good she is beyond comparison Ooh. as are the two other ladies all right okay yeah. okay yeah. and so one of Peggy wow. Lee's most popular songs from the late 60s was our storyteller's guide um, from an early age he used it as sort of like a sonic path through much of his life it was kind of like is his anthem really Um, But, you know, sometimes when your life imitates art, things don't always go your way. Mm. I'm Jamie Brickhouse. I'm a comedic storyteller, and I'm also the author of Dangerous When Wet, a memoir of booze, sex, and my mother. I discovered the singer Peggy Lee when I was five years old. I was down in little old Beaumont, Texas, where I grew up. And I remember I was standing on the white shag carpeting of my parents' bedroom, mesmerized. And Peggy was standing on the TV screen in a white fog. She was on a TV variety show, and she was a glamorous ghost. She was wearing a platinum blonde Cleopatra wig and about 200 yards of diaphanous white chiffon. And she had um, giant blue-tinted sunglasses the size of my little head and she had a black mark on her right cheek just like miss kitty in the tv show gunsmoke and she was singing is that all there is Is that and i was hooked from the first verse is that all there is if that's all there is my friends then let's keep dancing let's Break out the booze and have a ball. If and even though it was this this haunting fatalistic song, it was a very adult song. Right, yeah. It's not that odd that it spoke to my five year old nascent homosexual brain. <laughs> <laughs> because it was a story song after all. Mm-hmm. So Peggy in the song, she's backed up by a gentle oom-pa-pa vamp. And she assumes this louche, seen-it-all demeanor as she sings verse after verse about a life full of tragedies and, worst of all, disappointments. For example, when her father takes her to the circus, she describes it with an ironic wink in her tone as the greatest show on earth. <laughs> And the way her voice goes up at the end in a question mark, you can almost hear her say, right? And so remember, she's supposed to be a little girl uh, at the circus. And her bored assessment of the spectacle of clowns and dancing bears and beautiful ladies in pink tights was, I felt that something was missing. I don't know what. And what was her little girl pragmatic answer to that disappointment? 
Is that all there is to the circus? <laughs> if that's all there is, then let's break out the booze and have a ball. Wow. That was my kind of little girl. Mm-hmm. Because I couldn't wait to break out the booze and have a ball. And I couldn't wait to get the hell out of Beaumont, Texas. And it was around that time that I had my first drink. By the time you saw Peggy Lee performing, you had your first drink, so when you were five? When I was five. And now, it wasn't, it wasn't, don't get too upset. It wasn't, it wasn't a full drink. It was just a sip of one. Right, like a, like a parent would do. Sort of right. Thing. It was my father's drink. And... I don't remember if he gave it to me or if I asked him for it or if I just took it. But the whole memory is like a a Polaroid snapshot. And it's the colors of autumn, orange and brown and gold, with my copper red hair lighting the center. And I remember seeing my father's drink sitting on the edge of the coffee table. And it was filled with amber liquid and frothy bubbles were swimming around the rocks Mm. on the top. On the rocks. Mm. That's what they called ice when it was cooling the brown stuff. I love that phrase, on the rocks. And I took a sip of that drink, and it was a drink that I knew was only meant for adults. And I held it in my mouth longer than I'd held any other liquid. And then I winced and swallowed. And it was as if I had walked indoors from a hot, humid Texas summer day into the Arctic blast of Central AC. Bracing, mind-altering, and so refreshing. Like all that at the age of five. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And I don't remember a feeling of, uh, a warm and fuzzy feeling of ah, but I remember the taste. It tasted like being an adult. So... I grew up, and I moved on to other songs, um, but Peggy always stayed with me, and is that all there is kind of haunted me throughout my life and it kind of became a mantra you know it's this that is that all there is and the whole song is this existential question of you know what does it all mean and and does it amount to anything and so I I left that small town in Texas and came to New York City how old were you I came right after college I was so I was 22 when I moved here and I loved it. And, you know, it was the place for me. I mean, you know, like I had a friend or somebody, I remember at one of the many parties I used to throw, who said, you know, you're from where? And I said, Beaumont, Texas. They said, wow, um, New York must be culture shock after growing up in Beaumont. I said, no, this I understand. The first 18 years of my life was culture shock. (laughs) So um, pretty soon I was breaking out the booze and having lots of balls um, on a regular basis in New York. I mean, somebody should have hung a sign over the apartment door, a la McDonald's, that said million overserved. And where were you living when you first moved here? I was living on the Upper West Side, um, 82nd and Columbus, and um, with my uh, boyfriend, Michael, or Micah Hayes, um, as he was known. And we've been together for 26 years. We're still together. I mean, we've been together longer than straight people, much less lesbians. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so with, like, within six years of living in New York, I was pretty soon an everyday drinker. And almost an every night listener to Peggy Lee. The song for me, which is I, I still love and adore it, um, it became a metaphor for my addiction, for my alcoholism. One of the, the slogans about alcoholism is it's a disease of more. In other words, you want more. You can never have enough. Right. 
And I do believe it's genetic. With the alcoholic, there's the phenomenon of craving. Like you don't, you lose your willpower. You can't, you can't stop. Right. You can have, never have enough. And for me, is that all there is? It kind of links up with, I still wanted more. You know, I felt like Peggy more and more as the drinking progressed. Beyond that, I felt more and more like Peggy at the circus. I had the feeling that something was missing. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what. And one dark 4 a.m. night, I was with my best friend, Mr. Parker. And we had been out on the town, and we got back to the apartment, and we were hammered. And we started listening to Peggy sing, Is That All There Is? One of my favorite songs to listen to when I was drunk. And so we were listening to it over and over and over. And I remember picking up the remote control and pointing it at the CD. It was 1992 or something. Um, maybe, not, no, it was 1996. Pointing the, the remote control at the CD player and saying, play it again, play it again. <laughs> and for the umpteenth time, Peggy's whispery voice filled the living room as she sang, Is that all there is? Is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friend. And we sat there and we listened to it. And my friend, Mr. Parker, he turned to me and he was like, My God, this song is brilliant. She's brilliant. Ah, oh, this is such an amazing song. And I said, Yeah, yeah, she's pretty amazing. And he, and he said, You know, a lot of people think this is the ultimate downer song, but I don't. Conversely, I think it's a, a celebration of the of the joy of life and in, 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 in all its spectacle and tragedy. And I said, yeah, you got a point. I mean, she does say that she's not ready for that final disappointment. Ah, that final disappointment. This is such an alky song. <laughs> And I said, well, what will she be doing when that final disappointment comes? And we answered in unison, she'll break out the booze and have a ball. And then we sat back and we marinated in the song's meaning as Peggy sang the rest of it. And when she finished, Mr. Parker turned to me and he said, you know, I have her phone number. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I turned to him and I just, you know, we were blasted. And so... I thought he was just pulling my leg, and I turned. I said, what do you mean you have her phone number? He said, I mean to tell you, I have her phone number right here in my wallet. One of my friends who worked at one of her favorite hospitals, because you know she was always in and out of the hospital. I said, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. She had more near-death experiences than Elizabeth Taylor. I read her autobiography. Yeah. He said, well, anyway... My friend worked at her hospital of choice, and when she was there, got her phone number. So I have it. So you must have been like mind blown. I was like, like my yeah. I was like, what uh, what do I do with this information? What do I do with this? And he had he had this laminated piece of paper with all of you know important addresses and phone numbers, and he pulls it out and unfurls it and starts waving in front of my drunken eyes. And I just with liquor courage just yelled, "Get me that!" And I grabbed it from him. And I picked up the cordless phone, and I started to dial Peggy in Los Angeles. Now, it was 4 a.m. where in New York, so, but, so it was still late in, in L.A., which is, of course, three hours behind. I was on autopilot, and I dial 
Ring, ring, ring. Hello? A young-sounding woman answered the phone. Hi, may I speak to Peggy? Who's calling, please? Uh, Jamie? Okay, hold on. And I turned to Mr. Parker, and I'm like, I'm on hold for (laughs) Miss Peggy Lee. (laughs) And then, yes, this is Peggy. Hi, Peggy, it's Jamie. Jamie Anderson? No, 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 no. It's uh, Jamie Brickhouse. I'm a huge fan of yours, and I, I met you backstage in New York at one of your concerts. I lied. So, um, uh, Peggy, um, how are you doing? Oh, I'm okay. I said, well, um, um, uh, you know, I, I missed you at Carnegie Hall last summer, and I'm still sick about it. Um, do you have any other New York dates coming up? No, ever since the fall, I can't even get out of bed. There was this silence there, and, you know, that I thought of her as that glamorous ghost, that I, white ghost that I first saw, and I just imagined her in this cumulus cloud of a king-size bed wearing a white satin bed jacket and cradling a princess foam between her ear and her shoulder. And her words seemed to fall into that bed. And then after a second, there was a, a lift in her speech as she said, but I've still got the voice. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Peggy, you've still got the voice. Um, am I catching you at a bad time? No. What are you doing? The way, yeah, exactly. You got it. The way she said it, she could have asked, "What are you wearing?" Right. And I said, "What am I doing, Peggy? I, I, I'm. Well, I'm sitting here with my best friend, and we're drunk." And we're listening to you sing, Is That All There Is? And Peggy, I can't tell you how many nights, so many nights, you've gotten me through with that song. Well, she said, I guess my life was worth living. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I don't remember the rest of the conversation. After that, I don't need to. I guess my life was worth living. What did she mean by that? It was almost as perplexing as, is that all there is, question. Yeah. And and I thought, well, I mean, was it a sarcastic slap in the face that, you know, if she got some lush on the other end of the phone through another drunken night, then perhaps her reason on earth had some meaning? Or was she actually acknowledging my reverence for her and the song and that, if she had moved me so profoundly as she had moved millions of other with it, then perhaps her life did have meaning. I honestly don't know, but I suspect she meant a bit of both. But I would say after that moment, after that Peggy Lee phone call, it was another six years before I started to seriously think about getting sober. Mm-hmm. But it was one of those moments of planting the seed. It wasn't necessarily I thought, oh, I've got to stop drinking, but it was a moment of, is that all there is? I'm having all this fun and breaking out this booze and having all these parties, but in the end, it's not adding up to much. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I thought about the life I had been living in the six years I'd been in New York. And it was the life I could, you know, it was the life I dreamed about and 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 thought was only a fantasy when I was growing up in little old Beaumont, Texas, back on that white shag carpeting. I was living in New York in a charming brownstone apartment. I was working in book publishing. I was in a relationship with a man who loved me. And 
I had an endless circulating waterfall of booze and parties and more booze. Greatest show on earth, right? <laughs> and there was always so much buildup to those parties from designing a clever invitation, coming up with the right theme, filling the apartment with a big, fun-loving crowd, having the perfect music playlist. And at the end of all those parties, after the last guest had gone, and after my boyfriend, Michael, had finally said he'd had enough and had gone to bed, I would stay up for just one more, which really meant several bourbons on the rocks. And I would sit there in the dark, in the mess of the party, and I would play Peggy, singing Is That All There Is. And, you know, I thought about it, and the people showed up, we broke out the booze, we had a ball, and I still wanted more. The song for me, which is I, I still love and adore it, um, it, it became a metaphor for my addiction, for my alcoholism. One of the, the slogans about alcoholism, it's a, it's a disease of more. In other words, you want more. You can never have enough. Right. And I do believe it's genetic. With the alcoholic, there's the phenomenon of craving. Like you don't, you lose your willpower. You can't, can't, you can't stop. Right. You can have, never have enough. And for me, is that all there is? It kind of links up with, I still wanted more. You know, I felt like Peggy more and more as the drinking progressed. Beyond that, I felt more and more like Peggy at the circus. I had the feeling that something was missing, mm -hmm. and I didn't know what. How has your connection to <clears throat> Is That All There Is changed? Has it changed? What does it mean to you today now that, now that you are sober? So I listen to it often still, and, and I no longer listen to it drunk or you know at 4 a.m. in the dark in the mess of a party. And I kind of agree with Mr. Parker. I do agree with Mr. Parker that it is actually a celebration of, of the joy of life and all its spectacle and tragedy. She speaks of all these, these you know, these moments, um, um, you know, milestone moments in, you know, in this fictional person's life that, you know, in the, in the song. And, you know, that basically it's, it's just about living and that we move on. And um, we have these experiences, you know, that are a part of, the evolution of life. And she even does say in the song, and I, as I said this earlier in the story about, you know, what will she be doing when that final disappointment comes? Meaning, you know, when death comes, she'll break out the booze and have a ball. Um, but at another point in the song, she's answering the listener by saying, if that's the way she feels about it, then why doesn't she just doesn't end she it just all? End and she says, oh no, oh no, oh no, not me. Not me. I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for that final disappointment. Because basically she's saying, I'm happy to be alive. And that's what I love about the song, is that it, she's basically saying, no, life is full of these ups and downs, but it's it's a marvelous ride, and I want to stick around as long as possible. And I kind of misinterpreted it as this, the Alki song, to, you know, to keep writing. But what happened to me is that I didn't want to live anymore. I mean, um, not because of the song, but because of the booze. And I was ready for that final disappointment, and I tried to... Uh, to kill myself. I took an overdose of pills. Um, that was my alcoholic bottom. And I'm glad it didn't take because that was my bottom and I and, and it's what I when I finally got sober. But you could have said that that was a moment and is that all there is moment. Thank you so much, Jamie, for sharing your story. Jamie Brickhouse is a writer and comedic storyteller. 
He's the author of the critically acclaimed memoir, Dangerous When Wet, Booze, Sex, and My Mother. You can see Jamie perform a solo show based on the book, directed by Obi-winning David Drake at the 2017 Frigid Festival at the Crane Theater in New York on February 23rd, 26th, 27th, 28th, and March 4th. Nice. Go to frigidnewyork.info for tickets. Jamie is a two-time Moth Story Slam winner, literary deathmatch champion, mm. has recorded voiceovers for legendary TV show Be This and Butthead, what? and has performed at multiple storytelling shows, including Kevin Allison's Risk. Mm. Jamie has been published nearly everywhere. In the New York Times, mm. International Herald Tribune, Washington Post, Daily Beast, Salon, Out, Huffington Post, and is a guest blogger for Pause, P-O-Z. Friend him on Facebook, follow him on Twitter at Jamie, J-A-M-I-E, Brickhouse. Visit him at jamiebrickhouse.com. Play It Back is produced by me, John Asante. And me, Gia Jung. Our engineer is the fabulous Steve Francis at Stush Studios. Shout out to Amos Rose for composing our theme music. And if you're a fan of our work, subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your fine podcasts. And we'd love it if you could rate our podcast and leave a review because it helps other people find out the wonders of our show. Very true. You can also find us on Facebook at Play It Back or on Twitter at Play It Back Radio. And if you want to learn more about Peggy Lee's Is That All There Is? Check out our website, playitbackradio.tumblr.com. As always, we want to hear from you. Tell us about your personal anthem or fantasy song. Let us know. Drop us a line at playitbackradio at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.